can't do anything by legislation. It takes uh, uh, education. The white man in this country needs to be re-educated re uh, so that his behavior pattern toward non-whites will change. And the black man in this country also needs to be re-educated so our behavior pattern and attitude toward ourselves will change. And once a little educating is done on both sides, you'll probably find that that in itself will do more to bring about the spirit of brotherhood than all of the legislation that's designed to force the two together. You can't legislate brotherhood. That brotherhood comes about through understanding, and understanding is created through education. Welcome back to another podcast episode of the Bros Bookshelf. In this final episode, we are rejoined by Dr. Richard Benson, me, your host, Lennon Gibbons, my co-host, Dr. Harvey Hinton III, and my line brother, Donovan Snipe. Where we pick up on part four of our four-part series of the autobiography of Malcolm X as told to Alex Haley. Enjoy. You're tuned in to the Bruz Bookshelf Podcast, where we read the books and let the content drive the discussion. Listener discretion is advised. Check this out. Malcolm joined the nation like in 1952. Mm -hmm. Then shortly after he joined the nation, he became a leader. Then he ended up growing the nation from 400 to about 40,000. Yeah. But here's the deal. Guess what he was compensated for his work? Mm -hmm. Food, shelter, Transportation and gas money. Oh, that little Wayne deal. No doubt. That little Wayne. Put some respect on my name. You understand me? When no I, I, I keep them looking good, pretty, and all that, you know, but no dough. No dough. And, and this, well, he died broke. He died broke. And as a matter of fact, don't forget this part because I think this is important in terms of talking about the psychological manipulation in terms of. What what I would even say at this particular point, which Malcolm like grew out of later, but this goes back into the zealotry aspect because of the deep level investment. Well, Malcolm spoke all over the country. So whenever you go to speak, we all know, you know, these college universities, honorarium. they give you an honorarium. Yeah. Malcolm was donating his honorarium back to the nation. He wasn't even keeping it for himself. He was making exactly. bread. He was making bread. There's no way he was out where he was out and not making bread. It sounds weird, but it's not. You know, we're talking about food and gas money. There's a roof over your head. All you get oh, he's took care of his travel. All he gets to do what he wants to do all day yeah. long. Yeah. So 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 he was fine with the way he and it sounds good. His a lot of meat, slaves were fine. A lot of slaves was like, man, if I get free, where I'm gonna go. It, well, I don't think that's, that's not the point here, though. His his point was all of his needs were being met, and he was a man of faith. So, like, it wasn't like he was starving. Well, but, well, Harvey, don't forget this point because I think we have to consider this in terms of Malcolm's needs. All of his basic needs were being met. There was nothing. There was nothing extraordinary, or there was nothing ex 
extensive with respect to meeting the needs in order to be able to compensate him for who he was as related to what he was able to do to the growth of the nation. It wasn't commensary to what he was bringing to, oh, no. Oh, to no. the, the nation. So, and, so and you were being critical, cheated. Yeah, and the most critical person of this very lopsided dynamic was actually his wife. Oh, yes, Betty was a mug. Yeah, because yeah. she left him on at least two occasions because of that main thing. Is it true that you actually did leave him on several occasions? Uh, yes, three times, as a matter of fact. You are literally, you are literally responsible for the growth of the nation. Well, I, I'll say this. I think Malcolm's, in my opinion, based on what it is that I've been able to read, study, write, investigate, primary sources, um, interviews, people who were with him, people who were in this organization, both the religious, in addition to the OAAU, um, all of what it is that I've been able to have, have, have the advantage of being able to look at and study for since 2005, I can say that my the main critique that I have, and then I'll say, and, and I want to, and, and I really want to um, provide this as, as a disclosure. The, the critique that I have obviously comes from a position of, you know, of entitlement based on the fact that I'm able to study someone's life who was eliminated over 50 years ago and talk about what it is that I would have done or shouldn't have done or what it is that I think that he should have done at that moment, but I'm not him and it wasn't him and didn't walk in his shoes and neither did I have to experience what it is that he had to go through. But in my opinion, based on what it is that I've been able to study about him, my biggest critique is that, well, actually two critiques. My biggest critiques are that he didn't separate or divorce himself from the nation of Islam earlier because of the blind faith that he had in Elijah Muhammad. That's one of the critiques that I have. And then the second critique that I do have is that once he realized that he was going to need an exit strategy, one of the things that he didn't establish as a part of his exit strategy was a financial plan. You have to have the political aspect, the social aspect, the economic aspect. There are some who say you don't need any money, but you have to have some money. If you don't have any money, like my daughter now, she's 12 years old, and she told me she didn't care anything at all about money. She doesn't have to. Everything she needs, and that's every day, I have to give her money for something. For lunch, she comes in, she needs pants because she's in a play or they're going someplace. Or she needs money for books. Or it's milk money time again. Or she needs money for something. How could anyone, I, I understand that somebody was saying, you don't, you know, because I was going to wear a real bright print gaylay tonight. And they say, oh, no, 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 you can't wear that because um, they will consider you a cultural nationalist. I'm a black woman, period. <laughs> you know. So those are my two main critiques. There's an article in, that was written in the Amsterdam News in 65 after Malcolm's death, and it simply said Malcolm X died broke. I understand, and I know this is a very personal thing, but I understand he didn't have any insurance. And how could people help? Well, uh, one of the things, when we were black Muslims, it was uh, 
one thing that uh, we were taught never to have insurance, you know. It was uh, a racket and this sort of thing. And uh, this coming Friday, we had made plans to uh, uh, take out insurance and uh, see the lawyer for other uh, business. Well, first I should say that the family is without funds altogether, there being no insurance on Malcolm's life nor on his possessions. Uh, the children, their four children, and uh, Mrs. Shabazz, Malcolm's wife, is expecting a fifth child. So it was necessary to do something about establishing a fund for the future of them. And many persons who are supporters, persons who are not supporters, some persons who are admirers, and some persons who are just curious, and some persons who are just good-hearted and concerned about the welfare of children have made offers of money in support of them in the future, of a home for them, of schooling for the youngsters, of caring for the wife. And as a result of this, a foundation is being established. Mm. And for white people, that's something that's not respectable. Mm -mm. What did you do with your life this whole time? Yeah, I mean, in, in, in that case, Malcolm didn't have an insurance policy. Malcolm, um, he was borrowing money from his sister, Ella. I mean, Malcolm did not have any finances. And just to show how principled that he remained, even after the Nation of Islam, there were at minimum two accounts of other organizations who tried to finance Malcolm, one with five million and one with six. No, one with three, one with five. Um, there was a competing a religious Islamic sect that was coming out of the East that wanted Malcolm to begin to establish temples in New York. He turned them down. And then there was another instance after that as well, where it was about $6 million. He turned them down as well. But Malcolm, um, he remained principled to his beliefs to the point where he did not have a financial strategy with, as a part of his exit. So those are my two major points of critique for Malcolm is that he didn't break away sooner. Um, and even if he hadn't have broke away sooner, that he still had the toughest time with being able to, you know, divorcing himself because, like I said, he had written a letter of reinstatement. It just didn't happen. Um, in addition to the letter, you know, I just say he knew when he had to move or had to leave, he did not have a financial base you know, for the exit, for, for his exit strategy as well. So those are my two main critiques. And I say that I think his life is a model for many of us who understand that, you know, our faith systems, our belief systems can be shattered in a moment's notice. It happens all the time. What does it look like in terms of what it means for you to exit an organization, be it secular or non-secular, in order to now reestablish your beliefs in order to be able to reestablish your life? Do you go with nothing or do you now begin to strategize and play chess and not checkers in order to make sure that you are taken care of and your family is taken care of? Malcolm didn't do that. So those are my two main critiques. And again, he died broke. Yeah. How does that make you feel to say that? Um, well, I think the thing that we have to remember is that Malcolm was human. So, in many cases, we can kind of like perceive of him as being a sort of a superman, but he wasn't. Mm. So by saying, you know, he that, yeah, or these particular things, it's like, well, I don't have a problem being able to say that. I think it's a lesson for many of us 
you know, to use as a model as it relates to how it is that we should now be going to begin to prepare ourselves, you know, as adults. It's like at no point should you put all faith into anyone that bleeds and breeds just like you do. Or any story for that matter. Yeah. Any story or ideology for that matter, because. Yeah. And any story or ideology for the most part. And in all things, you should be questioning and you should be critical. And then if the, yeah. what you believe in so strongly is untrue, you need to be able to still have your morals and your principles and still be able to walk away from it, even though it's yeah. nothing, right? Like, yeah, which can be hard to do. To do. We see difficult. it all the time. Yeah. Like when people, people have learn... been part of churches. Yep. Like, for example, um, who was a cat that was down there at um, uh, Atlanta, whatever, he used to wear the muscle shirts, whatever, and he had all of those members, a bunch of male members accuse him of uh, sexual assault no, or whatever. For the first time, one of the men filing suit against Bishop Eddie Long is speaking out. We're talking about Jamal Paris telling a story of what he calls a love-hate relationship with a man he considered a father. Senior IT reporter Dale Russell first broke the story. He's here with his exclusive report. Dale. 14-year-old with no father in his life, he joined New Birth Missionary Baptist Church. Bishop Eddie Long came into his life. He said Long said to call him daddy and to trust him with spiritual guidance. After all that took place in his church, he was still able to maintain a good majority of his membership. After all that had taken they place. They didn't even care. They didn't, yeah, even, they didn't care. even care. They didn't even question whether or not that all what all these young men had came forth in terms of these accusations were the true or not. He just, you know, that membership, can, you know, it consisted. I called the personality again. So, you know, and, and, and I'm sure some of those members wanted to walk away. But in their mind, now they're thinking about the years. I've been in 15 years, 20 years, this amount of years or whatever. They're thinking about years versus what it looks like to move away from something that's obviously mm. pernicious, it's destructive. Mm. It's of what it is that you are coming to church to actually be opposed to, which is satanic. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you still there after all of that. It's like so, a bad relationship that you've yeah. been married for years yeah. and it just can't walk away. We spoke about that. Well, Malcolm talked about it himself. I, I have a question. If you had Malcolm's ear, let's say, let's go back to, I don't know, 1960, right? And you can give him a nugget. What nugget would you give him that he would listen and receive? Uh... Don't only focus on the spiritual freedom, but you also have to focus on financial freedom because as long as you are tied financially to this system or to the people that run the system, you're going to be a slave to it. And you will always be able to be manipulated by money if you require that money to care for other people, right? Like if it's just mm -hmm. you, you're fine, but you have a family and a wife now. So those things are that more important because if you don't, those things can be used to manipulate and change you. So be as vigilant about being free financially as you are about freeing black people because we, we can't be free without that. Did Malcolm start the newspaper Muhammad Speaks? He did, brother, in the basement of our house. The man worked endlessly, I tell you. When I say that, I, I don't say it lightly. He worked endlessly. No combination worked as hard as he worked because he believed. He started the paper in the basement of our house. And when it became money-making, they, you know, took it.
<clears throat> Harvey, what would you tell him? Yeah, man, I think on some Tupac rapper shit, like, don't talk about death. Like, don't talk about being cool with being dead and knowing that you, you're not, you know, he talked about carrying guns and, you know, you know, he had a couple, you know, hold on, he had a statement about, you know, he was, he had his gun ready if he heard a mosquito call for some shit like that. Like, he was definitely living on the edge and he knew that death was, was, was around the corner. I see death around the corner, gotta stay high while I survive in the city. He accepted it in a, in a hard ass way that I just think it plays itself out in, in, in a very tragic sense. You know, and I don't think that that's the the way to go. So I don't I don't think you want to talk about death like that. Okay, Doctor Benson. Um, in addition to what it is I spoke to early in terms of two points of, of criticism that I have for Malcolm, whatever. But in addition, I would say first and foremost, listen to your wife. Listen to your wife because she's not enamored by this organization in any way, shape, or form. Malcolm was put out of the movement because of some things he found out, period. And I thought everybody knew. And if you don't know, you're kind of back in your homework. I was told there are about five or six black Muslims in the audience. Maybe they'll raise their hands and I'm sure they'll tell you. So that's one thing. Listen to your wife. And I would also tell him to be sure to evaluate his organization, his personnel, and his staff quarterly. And that includes from the upper echelon of the inner circles of the organization all the way down to every last mosque that he's responsible for and must visit as a national spokesman. I would tell him those two things. Yeah. Quarterly evaluations, yeah. My advice to him would be, whatever you do, make sure that your house is in order. Mm -hmm. You are responsible for your house's finances, mm -hmm. raising your children, mm -hmm. and making sure that they have everything they need and some of what they want. Your wife, all of that. That, is, that falls under your responsibility as the man of the house. So take that for what it's worth and do what you have to do. Mm -hmm. And there's a clip of Betty Shabazz giving a speech and she's, she talks about, you know, the hardships of having to raise six children as a single parent. And she also speaks about, you know, the brothers and their activism. Oh, I want to get back to this question, you know, because I, I know we are all emotional about, you know, birth control and all of this sort of things, you know, and it seemed to be, you know, every time I go someplace, you know, it's always the brothers that stand up, you know, and ask this question. Uh, <laughs> you know, let me tell you something. Uh, oh, wow, I'm afraid to say this. Now, 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 wait a minute, now, 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 I hold your judgment now, just hold your judgment now, listen, I am one parent with six babies, and it is no easy task. Did you hear what I said? It is no easy task, 
and I have not gotten any letters from any brothers around the country telling me what they would like to help me do for my six daughters. No, 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 no. I cannot be mother and father, right? I can only be the best mother that I possibly can. And I can have some of my male friends come in and give some sort of image, you know. And when the image become too imagey, then I'll get somebody else, you see. <laughs> I didn't finish it. I didn't finish it. It is not an easy thing to raise children. Like you don't have the time or you don't have the money to raise them properly. Don't say you don't need any money, because my taxes just went up. You need money. And I have to pay taxes for those who don't pay taxes, but I pay it gladly. Because I understand the predicament we're in. So somebody got to have some money. Now, I said all that to say, <laughs> I don't have to now. But after the fact, I certainly do believe in birth control. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. And now it is popular or whatever to have babies. Uh, single women have babies. And a lot of the revolutionary brothers are steady making them. <laughs> and you don't know when there's no milk money, when you're out doing your revolutionary duties and tasks, that little baby don't want to hear it. When the baby is sick, just lost my lifesaver. When the baby is sick, the mother don't want to hear it at that point. And we understand what you brothers have to do, and we appreciate it. But at the same time, let us have healthy babies. Those babies that we have, let them be healthy. Let them be well-educated. Let them be able to take over when our day is done. Like I said, I would suggest that Malcolm keep his house in order and make sure that he's taken care of and, and his children and his wife is taken care of. Because Elijah Muhammad has plenty of money for he all has his plenty, kids. yeah, for all his kids and and everything that he needs. What about you? When you live in a poor neighborhood, you're living in an area where you have to have poor schools. When you have poor schools, you have poor teachers. When you have poor teachers, you get a poor education. Poor education, you can only work on a poor paying job, and that poor paying job enables you to live again in a poor neighborhood. So it's a very vicious cycle. Um, Rich, your contribution, bro, we, I can't, I mean, I, I knew what to expect, but damn, you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, you know, brother, I mean, look, I, I have an advantage that those who sit up and study Marx all day have, you know, they just dive into it. I've, I've had the advantage of being able to dive into it. Um, and I think for me, one of the main attractions is actually it goes back to the clip that um, that Lenny played. Um, the one I was saying he was in Berkeley 
62, October 10th or whatever. So that particular clip, I saw that clip for the first time in like the early 2000s. And I couldn't get over the clip because it was a Malcolm that wasn't giving a speech. It was a Malcolm who was being interviewed and having a conversation. And the way that he was hitting these points in the interview or whatever, it was almost like things just flowed effortlessly in terms of, you know, his his intelligence and most importantly, his ability to be able to make information plain. That's probably been one of the most attractive things about Malcolm that I've consistently investigated about him. And for the most part, when Ozzy Davis talks about he was our shining black prince, he was our manhood, et cetera. I mean, the the amount of cool pose that Malcolm displays, his ability to be able to control the panel, an interviewer, an audience through lectures and talks. Um, I think that so many of us have that skill. You know, it varies, obviously, but I think we have that skill that's just not nurtured to the point where we can actually um allow, you know, that type of that that you know, that type of talent or skill to um, you know, to be more to be more didactic, to be more um pronounced in our everyday. But when you see Malcolm as a muse and as a model, for those of us who are attracted to the way he can actually um, carry himself. I mean, I think that's powerful with respect to presence. So, you know, I just, I, I, I wish more of us could see that about him in terms of, you know, the way he would carry himself. Malcolm was born the way he was. He was born, in fact, we waited for Malcolm's birth. Uh, we were of the superstitious tribe of Africa, the Watusis. And we believe that the seventh child uh, came with certain, uh, endowed with certain rights that would surpass other children of that family. So when he, he was born, we expected great things of Malcolm. If you, if you can, tell that story about Malcolm in South Alabama when he had the idea of, of recruiting in the South and growing the uh, nation of Islam in the South? Um, you know, it, it's funny because people always talk about when Malcolm went South, but people forget that he was one of the main recruiters for Atlanta, for the Atlanta temple in the, um, the mid fifties. So Malcolm had already been traveling South. Plus we all know about Malcolm having to go meet with the Klan on several occasions in Georgia as well. So mm-hmm. Mar- Stone Mountain. Yeah. Les Payne talks about it, whatever. So Malcolm had already been traveling South. Um, I think, well, you know what, I'll say this. Um, I don't think people really understand the level of effectiveness and then also military style dedication to self-sacrifice that members of the Fruit of Islam exemplify. So whether it's in Alabama or whether it's in Los Angeles, it didn't matter. They were literally willing to die for all things that were dealing with the Nation of Islam and Elijah Muhammad. So to be South and to take on the police or local law enforcement, it meant nothing to them. Nothing. So for Malcolm to be able to recruit, in addition to not only establish himself as a force in certain spaces, it was nothing that he ever thought twice about. 
because he was so willing to be able to not only have that same level of dedication to Dawah Muhammad, but as one who had been one who trained fruit of Islam, those who are in the fruit of Islam, they too exemplify that same level of discipline and dedication that Malcolm had for Elijah Muhammad, that they too would exemplify as the fruit. So Malcolm could recruit easily based, based just off of what it is that you would see with the NOI, I mean, when the FOI would enter into the street. I mean, uh, Sonia Sanchez, she said it herself in an interview, she said, when you saw the FOI walk out into the street, I would tell you that these was these were the baddest, cleanest, meanest, fearless brothers that you had ever seen in your life. I re- I experienced that in Chicago in Hyde Park at this late night breakfast spot. Man, they walked Hyde in. Park. They were all Ooh. like the same statue, you know, same height, everything. And it's just a real moving emotional experience. Standing, you know. The way they comport themselves, the discipline, their presence, their mannerisms, just all of that is just make you feel like, damn, you know, <laughs> you never seen black brothers looking like that. They have a weight requirement, right? Right, because in out. the Manny Marble book. He speaks on, he would have them come and weigh in once a week, and they had to be going down. He restricted them to one meal a day so they could meet the weight requirements. Had it going down, right. Had a weight requirement, you know. Folks had to be in the gym practicing. You know, they were disciplined in boxing, judo, different form. Like, you can go online today, go to YouTube or whatever. There's a couple of cats who were mar- who are martial arts instructors for the NOI. Look, man. These cats don't need no pistol. Right. They don't need a pistol. You run up on them, it'll be a mix of uh, whatever that you've seen in terms of the training that Liam Neeson and hmm. Jason Bourne have gotten in terms of like hand to hand combat. No, you cats is bad. And that just didn't start in the 80s and 90s. This is going back in terms of their training all the way back to the 50s. So. For him to recruit, imagine what it looks like. You in Alabama, you in um, D.C., wherever that you're at, and you see them cats come out on the street, and they're not kowtowing. I want to be a part of that. Right, I want to be a part of that. Yeah, what y'all doing? That's what I want to be. Whatever it takes. Is that the Whatever it takes. I want to hop. <laughs> I want to be out. How can I get what down? Y'all doing? Exactly. Hey, in the words of Malcolm, yes, I have cherished my demagogue role. I know that societies often have killed people who have helped to change those societies. And if I can die having brought any light, having exposed any meaningful truth, that will help to destroy the racist cancer that is malignant to the body of America, then all credit is due to Allah. Only the mistakes have been mine. Mm-hmm. The man was humble to the end, bro. And that's the Malcolm that I want to remember in this book, uh, the autobiography of Malcolm X as mm-hmm. told to Alex Haley. Mm-hmm. I got to rate this book a 10, bro. I got to rate this book a 10. Sir. I got to give it a 10 um, just for so many opportunities to reflect on life to grow, to change, to pivot, to learn, to challenge myself. Um, 
I gotta even give the Lawrence Fishburne narration a ten because mm. I enjoyed listening to uh, Lawrence Fishburne's take on it. You know, I think he provided a a nice mellow Malcolm, and I yep. enjoyed it. Um, I've enjoyed watching the new um, Malcolms on the screens. Uh, mm-hmm. The Godfather of Harlem mm-hmm. Malcolm is the coldest Malcolm I've seen yet. That was that was the one I liked the most. So anyway, I, I definitely get this book a 10. The narrations a 10. Um, I chose this book because, like I said, uh, a lot of people on the sideline have been asking me to, to do this book. And I know mm-hmm. Rich is a Malcolm X scholar, haven't had a chance to speak to that brother in a while. So um, to be able to pull all that together and just to be honest with you, Lenny, I mean, we just did Evelyn Hugo. We just did. We just we we just did. Uh, what was the other little, little book we did? Uh, we've been doing it some books. Us. It ends with us. I mean, we've been we've been doing some stuff, man. You know, it's fun and high hee hee. But uh, I need I need to get my black man back on, man. And Malcolm <laughs> Malcolm always is going to help me get my black man back on, man. Yeah, ain't nobody going to make me feel bad about getting my black man on either. So that's my thoughts, man. That's why I give it a ten on the book. 10 on the storytelling, 10 on Malcolm's vulnerability, just just 10. And 10 on having Rich on the mic. Donovan, what you rate the book? A 10 on everything. <laughs> Rich. Knowing what I know, a 7. So let me let me qualify. Let me let me qualify why it's a 7 because once you read the chapters that are left out, oh my God. Oh man, there's so much oh more. God. But Malcolm X was assassinated before the book could be published. And Haley as a young journalist, just didn't have the clout of the publisher to insist the chapters and introduction be printed. Now Reed keeps the manuscripts in a vault. He says his only goal is to offer them to educational institutions and perhaps include them in an unabridged version of the autobiography. There's a, there's a chapter called The Negro, just to show you how powerful this chapter is. There's a chapter called The Negro that if you go to the Schomburg, they will not allow you to photocopy it. They will not allow you to take any pictures of it. You can only take notes, like literally sit down and look at the chapter that's in a binder and take notes um, either by hand or on your laptop. What are you talking so, about? So back, back in January... Now. Back in January, I sat down um, for, it took me two days to to copy that whole chapter out. So if you read the chapters that were were intentionally left out versus what we get, oh God. So in its current iteration, I give it a seven. Knowing what was left out, it would have been greater than a 10. Wow. I'm telling you, I'm dead serious. Yeah. Its impact, even with what was left out, is a 10, without question. Right. Yeah. Knowing what was left out and you read what was left out intentionally, oh, yeah, it's a seven. Oh, wow. Yeah. And this was the thing that made it so frustrating by looking at what was left out and the early drafts versus what Haley edited in submitted was that in the margins, Malcolm and Haley are having like 
I mean, they're having some 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 very very intense disagreements about you know what should be left out. Malcolm, do you mean to say this? Yes, I mean to say this. Are you sure? You know, this seems very fiery. Yes, I want this in. Leave this in and put this in. Like this is in the margins. This is literally in the margins in their handwriting. And, you know, that was some controversy, too, because he waited to after he passed before he published it. Right. So, you know, that's what folks say. No, this wasn't just told to you. Like, this is you exercising a lot of creative control about, you know, this end product. Yeah. That's why Manny Marvel said he wrote his book. <laughs> um. And you know, you know what? That's another thing. He got a six million dollar advance to write his book as well. I mean, sorry, a six, a six, dun, 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 dun. A six figure advance. Which dun, 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 dun. Just follow the cash. Six like throughout the whole book, though, he he is criticizing um, uh, Alex Haley's version. And, and, you know, he's not the first to do it. It's, yeah. There's been a whole bunch of folks that have been critical of that version. Yeah. I think criticizing Alex Haley is low-hanging fruit. Oh, wow. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, I think I, I'm very familiar with that. Yeah. Criticizing Haley's version of so-called, as it was told to him, is low-hanging fruit. I think what what most Malcolm X scholars who had an opportunity to be able to look at those chapters that have been left out, and then... Even looking at the chapters that were left in and, and what Malcolm wanted versus what Haley did not want to put in. Oh, yeah. That within itself is a whole other manuscript, you know, by itself. Just talking about like this exchange that they're having in the margins. Yeah. So I have I have written this down for y'all. So Haley talking to the to the to the publishers, he described because the publishers asked him about the manuscript like shortly before it was finished. And Haley described portions of it as lava-like. Yeah, lava-like. So, I mean, yeah. So, leaving out what he left out? Oh, yeah, that was not by accident or coincidence. Yeah. So, so that's that's why I give it a seven. And to some degree, it's not fair because everybody won't have the time to go to the Schomburg and take two days and look at, you know, chapters that were in and out and everything else or whatever. But, you know, blessings for me having the time and opportunity to be able to do that stuff. But, yeah, after seeing those chapters, I was like, oh, wow. Bro, blessings to you. We have no clue what was left out. Blessings to you for sharing all of that with us. Mm-hmm. Thank you, bro. Yeah, I mean, hold on. I'll do you one better. Yeah, keep going. You got a picture that you wouldn't want to take? This is a chapter that this is a chapter that I um that I copied out. Okay, that's even better. Because um Malcolm had this section in which he just kept going on and on and on about black men who married white women. He was Umar. What you I mean, doing with what, this snowbody? Like, I want to see do I agree with it or disagree. I wonder is it uh I wonder is it timeless or not? 
Where they say? Uh, uh, let me see if I'm, I can I, find I'm, I'm so, that I'm section. So I'm so ready to hear this. So his preacher used to be like, we were kings and queens while the European were living in caves. That was a Malcolm statement. Um, and, oh, in this chapter, the Negro, he's he's extremely rough on um, black preachers. Extremely rough. Uh, Dr. Clark was like, he would call me Swine Eater. Swine Eater. He would eater, say right. Swine Eater. <laughs> 100 is a historian. Okay, here's one. Um, this comes from the chapter, The Negro, that was left out. So he says, the educated Negro, the professional Negro, is the, first, is the worst offender of them all. This is the one who attacks the teachings of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. This is the one who is drowning... And when you're throwing a life preserver to him, he acts as if you're throwing it at him. He's a professional Negro. Being a Negro is his profession. And his intellect, his thinking, he is white. Anything that he hears criticizing a white man is criticizing him, a black man. He wants so badly to be white with the white man rejecting him a thousand ways. The educated Negro will make me angrier than the white man any day. I don't get angry or excited when a white man attacks me. He's doing what is his nature. And this guilt force forces him to do it. A dog is supposed to bark, but I, but I get excited if a cat starts barking. For instance, if a Negro asks me, why do you all teach hate? I'm furious. Why does a Negro sound like that? Asking me why I teach hate when I've been trying to tell him to organize and build a factory or to pool his money and open up a store to hire his own black people and keep his money in a black community. So like when I say he goes hard on so-called educated black folk or whatever in this particular chapter, that yeah, is wild, man. Just, I mean, I think even with the Black Lives Matter people, I mean, I'm, I don't even like to talk about them like that, but I mean, it was like a new argument. Mm. <laughs> mm. It was like a new argument. Like, damn what Malcolm said. Damn the critique that had already been given. Damn all of that. We, we just mad. We mad today. Mm-hmm. Like, we ain't always been mad. <laughs> like, we just got mad. We just got mad. It was like, huh? Okay. Uh, you know, I ain't got nothing. I mean, it's dope. Like, I, I dig it, but damn. Like, you know, calm down when you're reading Malcolm. Don't read too much Malcolm, but Black Lives Matter. Like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. So. <sighs> Gentlemen, like I said, thank you for having me. This has been a pleasure. Salute. Thank bro. you, man. Salute. Man, I'm <laughs> proud of y'all cats, man. Please pushing the needle forward. Keep, keep pushing the needle forward, man. We need more of this. We're going to give sure it to them, too. Yes, That's one of the reasons why I do it. Yes, sir. Yeah, because yes, I'm, ty- I'm tired of uh, barbershop talk. Rock for real. <laughs> <laughs> Motherfuckers don't know what they be talking about. <laughs> yep. Those stupid motherfuckers be talking that shit. <laughs> I salute y'all, cats, man. All right, man. Salute. Thank you for listening. Share with your friends. Give us a five star rating. And join us again. <laughs>